This morning, we'll be looking one last time for now at Luke chapter 2, at the events surrounding the birth of our Lord, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as this is the final Sunday of the year and the Sunday after Christmas. And as we look at Luke chapter 2 together, we're familiar, most of us, with the events at the beginning of the chapter. We seem to spend uh, a lot of time on the opening verses and the opening message of Luke chapter 2, of the census and Mary and Joseph and the journey to Bethlehem, the angels, the manger and the shepherds. But often we spend less time on some of the other events that we read about following after the shepherds visited the nativity, after the shepherds visited the Savior who had been born and laid in a manger. So with that being said, I want to invite you to open up God's Word with me for a few minutes to Luke chapter 2. I'll begin reading this morning in verse 25, but we do learn something. We learn something, I think, uh, important uh, between where we're going to pick up today in verse 25 and where we left off previously last Sunday uh, after the shepherds left Uh, The manger glorifying and praising God. And we learn that Jesus was born into a family that observed and honored the religious obligations set out in accordance with the scriptures. We learn that Jesus on the eighth day was circumcised and he was named Jesus or Yahweh saves. The Lord saves just as the angel had told Mary. That he was to be named. We also learned that Mary was obedient. Joseph was obedient to the the scriptural expectations and obligations and standards for those that were going to worship the God of scripture. So after these eight days, after another 33 days, during which Mary would have been considered ceremonially unclean due to this childbirth, she went to the temple in Jerusalem, the religious center, and went for two reasons. She would have gone firstly uh, to present this firstborn son before the Lord. A presentation in accordance with Scripture that every firstborn son was to be dedicated, to be presented Before the Lord. And secondly, she went for her own purification after this childbirth. She went to offer a sacrifice and an offering before God. We learn here that they offered, Mary and Joseph offered two doves or two pigeons and not the preferred or the first choice of a year old lamb as an offering before God. Signifying to us that Jesus was born into a family of modest means. Born into what we might call a, a poor family. And then following this background information, this snippet of information about what Mary and Joseph did and how they went to the temple and observed the, the Old Testament law and presented this child before the Lord and offered this sacrifice to God We read about a man, a man who, by the way, we don't read anything about anywhere else in Scripture, a man named Simeon, whose words and actions teach us a lot about faith in this one who is our Lord, faith in the birth, the one whose birth we celebrated this last week. So let me invite you to to 
Look with me at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. God's word there reads this way. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So we're introduced here in Luke chapter 2 verse 25 to this man Simeon, a man who, like I said earlier, we know little about. We're told that he was righteous and that he was devout. He was morally upright. He was religious. He sought to honor God in his religious practices. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit, waiting on the consolation of Israel. In other words, he was waiting for the long-expected Messiah, eagerly, expectantly waiting on this Messiah to arrive on earth who would redeem and deliver the people of God, who would redeem and deliver Israel. And most people were waiting on a, a Messiah, a Savior, who would come and deliver the people of God from physical oppression and physical bondage on earth, deliver them from oppression under the rule of the Romans. And here the Messiah comes. In his first coming, Jesus seems to be much more interested in delivering people from spiritual bondage and spiritual oppression and bondage and sin. Later, this King, this Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will return. He will come again. And and we can look forward to that day. We can expect His return one day, a day on which He will deliver His people from physical bondage. Deliver his people from all discomfort, all pain, all sorrow, all suffering, illness, injustice, oppression in this world. Ultimately, to live for him for all of eternity. But somehow, some way, this man, Simeon, was told by the Holy Spirit, and we can only speculate what that may have been like, that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah eagerly longing and waiting to see this Messiah. The emphasis here, three times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in three verses. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was on him, on Simeon, been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And then in verse 27, he's moved by the Spirit to, to go to the temple that day. Third time, Spirit works in his life, moves in his life, mentioned here in this particular passage, leading him on this particular occasion to go to the temple and to recognize 
The birth of this long-awaited one. The birth of this Messiah. Ultimately, though Simeon was righteous, though he was devout, the Spirit of God is the one who is credited for his faith in the Messiah. For his recognition of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is not, ultimately, not only ultimately responsible for, for leading people to faith in that day, leading Simeon to faith in Christ, but the Holy Spirit also prompts faith in Jesus Christ today, resulting in the praise of God. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, prompts faith in Jesus Christ, prompts recognition of Christ, belief in Christ as, as the Lord, as the Savior, as the Son of God. Ultimately, to lead people to praise God. Simeon, dependent on the Holy Spirit, opened his eyes to faith in this one, and we too are as well. And as believers that are gathered on a morning like this who recognize that Jesus is indeed the way and the truth and the life. It's ought to be a good reminder for us and an encouragement to us as we seek to share the gospel with the lost. One thing I love about this time of year, Christmas season, is that we all have, often have family gatherings. We come together with extended family that we may not see at other times of the year. And in every one of our families, there are unchurched unbelievers who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't know this Savior, who don't know this King of Kings and this Lord of Lords, this long-awaited one who has come to save the world from their sins. Perhaps there's a family exception somewhere, but I'm yet to meet that family. And what an opportunity that we have as, as we gather together with, with family. Interestingly enough, in the very name of Christ, in the honor of Christ, if for no other reason, simply for gathering at Christmas time, a time that we celebrate His birth, His arrival among us. But what an opportunity we have at gathering such as these to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like a, like a string or a thread is weaved over a cloth to produce a garment. You and I ought to be weaving the gospel into our conversations with our family members and friends, co-workers, those that don't know Christ. And as we do so, let's, let's quit being overly concerned and so anxious and fretful that we might not say the right thing or communicate the right thing. Sure, let's, let's know the message. Let's know the truth of the gospel. Let's recognize and communicate the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humankind and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and the necessity of faith. But let's recognize that we are dependent on God to ultimately draw people to Himself and to convert sinners so that their eyes are open to the truth of a Savior. Let's pray for God's Spirit to open eyes of faith to Jesus. As we seek to share the Gospels, we seek to communicate the truth of God's Word, the message of Christmas with those around us. Let's pray that God would do a work in their lives, that He would go before us, that He would open the eyes of the blind, that He would soften the hearts of the proud. 
That He would lead family members and each of our families to see their need for a Savior and to be drawn to Jesus Christ. That He would open the eyes of co-workers who live with no regard for the things of God and the ways of God and for the glory of God. Let's pray that God would do an incredible work, that He would open eyes of faith to Jesus Christ. Let's pray for a group of middle schoolers from this church that left this morning on a three-day spiritual retreat, that God would do a work in their life, that He would open their eyes to, to faith in Jesus. We ought to pray for some college students from our own church that are leaving later this week and gathering in Atlanta with a massive crowd of students coming together in the name of Christ and for the glory of Christ. Let's pray that God's Spirit will work, that He would open our eyes, that He would open the eyes of the lost to faith in Jesus Christ. And we ought to pray diligently for the lost because faith in the Savior of the world is what provides peace. Faith in the Savior of the world provides peace. This man Simeon in Luke chapter 2 recognized this. Realized that ultimate peace, lasting peace, true peace was found in Jesus Christ. He said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So means faith was set on God, in God. Recognize the identity and the mission of Jesus Christ. Recognize that That faith in this one from God, that faith in God would lead to peace in his own life. And so as a result, once he saw this one from the Lord, this one he had been waiting on, once he had seen the Savior, he said, my eyes have seen your salvation. In essence saying, I have seen the one who is the Savior. I have seen Jesus. I have seen the Christ. And because I have seen him, that is enough. Father, you may now dismiss me in peace. For I have recognized and seen peace in you. And in Simeon's praise of of God, we see a, a number of truths. And we see that Jesus, firstly, is enough. Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus alone is enough. Jesus is sufficient. He is all satisfying. In language similar to that of a slave that's been been released from bondage. Simeon says, I have seen the Savior. I have seen the one who was promised who will carry out the deliverance of your people, Lord. You may now dismiss me in peace. True, lasting, eternal peace. It's not found in a healthy 401k in an early retirement. It's not found in a good appointment, a good checkup from the doctor, a good report from the doctor. That soon enough will fade away. True, lasting, significant, eternal peace is not found in 
and a large family with kids and grandkids who sitting around gathered together laughing. Do you know the calm will not stay long? True, lasting peace is not found in worldly success. It's not found in a fulfilling marriage. It's not found in great friends. But true, lasting peace is found in the one who is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Have you seen this Jesus? Have you found lasting peace? Have you found satisfaction in Jesus, in just a a few minutes, you're going to go and you're going to eat lunch. You're going to have physical satisfaction and sustenance, but it won't last. Just a few hours later, you're going to get hungry again. You're going to have to eat again, and you're going to do this over and over and over. This is what we do. But in Jesus... There is spiritual satisfaction and sustenance that lasts for all of eternity. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness are filled in Him. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is enough. And we also learn from this praise of Simeon that Jesus is from God. He is from God. Sent by God. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. God is sovereign. He is Lord. He is the one who has sent the Savior. Salvation is from God. It is His plan. He devised it. And He is faithful in carrying it out. Jesus is enough. Jesus is from God. And we also see here that Jesus is for all. Jesus is for all. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. In this Messiah, in this Savior, in this Jesus, salvation is extended. It is available to whosoever will come to faith in Christ. For the Jew, it's for the Gentiles, for all nations. It's universal in its reach, not meaning that all will be saved because of it, but That it's available for all. Whosoever will respond to Jesus in faith. Jesus is for all. I love what one pastor and author has written about this praise of Simeon. This experience of Simeon here at the temple. He writes, do you see what is behind this song? Oh Lord, I don't have to watch this child grow up. I don't have to watch him talk with the doctors in the temple as a lad of 12 years old. I don't have to watch him multiply the fishes and the loaves to feed 5,000 people to be convinced. I don't have to watch him walk on the water or turn the water into wine. I don't have to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't have to be an eyewitness of the resurrection or his ascension into heaven. I've seen all I need to see. Now let me die in peace. One glimpse of the Christ child and Simeon was ready to go home to God. Folks, Jesus is enough. Jesus is from God and Jesus is for all. So, as people of God who believe in this Jesus, believe that He is indeed the way and the truth and the life, let's feast on Jesus. 
feast on Jesus. Let's look to Jesus for sustenance and satisfaction. Let's look to Jesus as the one who provides peace. The one who gives life. The one who is the light of the world. The one who gives spiritual sustenance. The one who reconciles us with our maker. The one who leads us to eternal life. The one who provides for us eternal life. The one who is just and justifies those with faith in Jesus. Let's live for Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. Let's seek Jesus. Let's wake up each day wanting to hear from Jesus and wanting to live for Jesus. Let's feast on Jesus. And the gospel, the gospel that this Jesus came to carry out is an offensive message. It's a a difficult message. It's not an easy message for us as humans to swallow. Because it attacks us where we are most susceptible to our own sin. It attacks us in our own pride. Saying we cannot do it. That we are not good enough. That we need a Savior. I can do whatever I want if I simply put my mind to it. I can accomplish whatever I want to be if I really want to. After all, that's the American way, is it not? The gospel, the truth of the gospel, the truth of salvation as conveyed in Scripture through Christ is that we are not good enough. We can't do it. We can't live up to God's standard. We've all fallen short. And because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our disobedience, God has provided a way for us. Sin, so offensive to an eternal God, a just God, a perfect God, a holy God, that in order for us to be declared righteous before Him, in order for us to be vindicated before Him, He had to do something for us. Had to do for us what we could not do on our own. Ultimately, laying down His own life. So that we could be forgiven, so that we could be justified, so that we could have life in Him. At the cross of Calvary, very reason, very purpose, Jesus entered this world to begin with. The cross at Calvary, transaction center, so to speak, set up by God. A place where sinners could exchange filth and brokenness and condemnation and bondage in sin for the righteousness and the purity and the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. A message such such as this, a message such as the gospel is so radical and insulting to our own pride and invasive into our own life that it demands a response we see this. Simeon recognized this. The message of Jesus forces a response in us. In all who hear it, in all who face it, in all who listen to it, the message of Jesus, the mission of Jesus forces a response. 
Read in Luke chapter 2, verses 33 and following. The child's father, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It comes to Jesus comes to the one whose birth we have celebrated this week, when it comes to the Son of God and Savior of the world, and message that he proclaimed and the mission that he carried out, there is no neutral response. There is no neutral response to Jesus. There is no neutral ground before Jesus. Either We either realize our own collapse before Jesus or we experience a miraculous resurrection through Jesus. We either reject Christ and we fall or we receive Christ in faith and we rise into eternal life. And later, as Jesus grew, began his ministry, teaching, he told a story that illustrated this very thing. He told a story that captured the two possible responses to this one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He, he wrote, or we read in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, this story of Christ. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He told this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, religious man, religious leader, and the other a tax collector, a known cheat. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified, declared righteous before God, forgiven before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The mission of Jesus, the message of Jesus, forces a response. So let's be those who submit to Jesus. Let's be people who submit to the King. Let's be people who acknowledge the identity and the mission of Christ and our need for Christ. Responding to Him in humility as Lord, as our Savior, as the one who rescues us from our sin. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following tell us that the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, all things. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's be people this morning who submit to this one who is king, who is savior, who is Lord, who reconciles us broken sinners to an almighty God in heaven. Let's submit to Jesus. And the central truth that I want us to see, that I believe we see from God's word this morning in Luke chapter 2, is that salvation is from God and it is for all who respond to Jesus in faith. Salvation, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with our maker is from God and it is for all who respond to Jesus in faith. Let's acknowledge that salvation by grace through faith in Christ is God's plan and is a great, a life-giving and a life-changing message for all. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the message of Christmas. We thank you for the message of Christmas, Lord, because it points us to the message of the cross on Good Friday and ultimately, Lord, it points to the message of Easter, the resurrection from the dead. Lord, we thank you that you came to us. Lord, we thank you that you lead us to faith in you. Lord, we pray that you would indeed lead us to be a faithful people, a a people who live for you, who know you, who desire you, who seek you, and who proclaim you to family, friends, co-workers, to the nations for your glory. Father, we pray that you would lead us now, that that you would do a work of transformation in us. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. I want to invite you to stand and to take a moment and respond to God's word this morning and to respond by a time of prayer before God. It's like we did a couple of weeks ago. I want to invite you to take a moment before singing and, and pray to God and pray that eyes would be open to faith in Jesus. Pray that he would open our own eyes to to know him deeper, to love him more, to more faithfully follow after him. Let's pray for for family members and friends and co-workers and neighbors who don't know Christ. Let's pray that God would do an abundant work in their lives, leading them to the one who is the Prince of Peace. Stand together. and Let's spend the time together in prayer and then we'll go into a time of singing. Thank you.